0: The Rosary of Modern Sorrows brings a new meaning to the Rosary by focusing on issues of social justice, a thoughtful gift for those who work for change in our church and world. Check out the Rosary of Modern Sorrows at contemplativerebellion.com. I'm Dr.
1: Rhonda Meadows. I am President of Population Health at Providence and CEO of Ion Health Solutions. I have been working in healthcare for decades. Um, I started as a family physician at Mayo Clinic and Kaiser Permanente, um, and then took a very, um, a very interesting and animated route through all of healthcare industry. So the best way I know how to tell the story and and my experience and and what I'm feeling and believing right now is to try to give you a little bit of a a taste of what a day, a week, a a month has been like since COVID has come upon us. Um, And that is to kind of say that every day there are a lot of conversations, Zoom meetings, board meetings, committee meetings. So in our discussions, we sat around and we talked about um, the need to, uh, to make sure that we provided support for people who were negatively impacted by COVID, by the recession, uh, by social justice issues, um, by health disparities and health inequities. And people talked about um, that they wanted to be able to provide the truth, uh, to be a truth giver. They wanted to uh, be a beacon of hope. Um, and all of these things are totally commendable. They they really are. But it struck me the way that it was being presented as if, as if our group was going to go forward and kind of tell people these things. But what I didn't hear was the part about um, asking them their truth and asking them what they thought, what they experienced, and what they needed. And so I kind of uh, raised my hand virtually because this is, of course, one of many Zoom meetings. And the more that I talked, the more I just found myself at the point when I just had to say, I've been listening for hours, just hours and hours, and trying to uh, to engage. Uh, But I just need for this group to hear me right now Um, and to understand that um, while many of the people in the conversation had not experienced COVID themselves as a person, which is great for them, that I had already experienced a loss uh, through my large extended family, the loss of nine people. And when I was speaking to them, I could see on Zoom their faces. And I could see someone just mouth the words, Nine? How could you lose nine family members? For us, the first time, the first loss was an aunt. And um, even then, it just, it felt unreal. Um, What made it even harder? Um, to to address and to to deal with was knowing that she was alone. No one could be in the hospital with her when she went. Um, No one could sit bedside because by the time she got to the hospital, she was so sick and so frail um, that she couldn't even converse. Before COVID, December, normal Christmas, January, Happy New Year, before all of that, there was a generation of people in my extended family. Um, They were in their 50s, 60s, 70s, a couple people in their 80s. And they would be the people that we would all look to. They would be uh, (laughs) the adults in the room, the elders, the source of our history, the source of our family pride, the people who are... um, to who of our teenagers would be referred to when we had had enough of them. <laughs> um, they're the aunties, the grandmas, and the pops. Um, now it is uh, September. Um, we are uh, over what, eight months into this. And I am as a 58 year old, now the elder for my family. Uh, My children, my sons, who I love dearly, spend their days making sure and checking to make sure that I'm okay. Because as a 58-year-old woman of color with some of the risk factors, they know, like I know, that I would be at risk so you have to kind of think about how this can change your mindset, right? It can't be that it's one part or one piece of who and what we are. When we talk about health as a human right, we need to act like health is a human right. If we believe that everyone should have access to, uh, to quality health care, then that's the way we have to act.
2: No matter who you are or what you do, you need healthcare. Maybe not now, but at some point in your life, you'll want to see a doctor. Nothing makes our common need for healthcare more apparent than a surging pandemic. And nothing has revealed the failures in the current healthcare system quite like COVID-19.
3: Where are the ventilators? Where are the gowns? Where's the PPEs? Where are the masks? Where are they?
0: more than 10,000 virus patients. What has officials worried is the lack of ICU beds across the state. Our hospitals are overwhelmed. We have seven hospitals that are at maximum
3: capacity right now in Miami-Dade alone.
2: Black Americans are three times more likely than white Americans to contract the coronavirus, and twice as likely to die from it. Hispanics and Latinx Americans have also been disproportionately affected. The explanation? These groups are more likely to have pre-existing conditions that make them susceptible to infection. They often work lower paying but essential jobs that do not provide health insurance or allow them to work remotely. Many live in multi-generational housing that places older parents and grandparents at increased risk. In other words, the country is confronting public health disparities that have been centuries in the making. Not only are Americans struggling for equal access to healthcare, Many are saddled with the burden of cost. Healthcare in the United States is really expensive.
1: 34 million Americans know someone who died because
0: they couldn't pay for medical treatment. There's people here,
1: they, when they don't have the insurance and they get so sick, they're basically told you to go home and, and they end up you know, just to go home and die.
2: Expensive like $3.6 trillion a year. Expensive. 25% of Americans report having trouble paying their medical bills leading some to delay critical treatments. Almost everyone can agree that the United States needs more accessible and affordable healthcare, and yet the country remains divided over reforms. So what will it take to realize the vision of a humane and just healthcare system? From America Media, I'm Sebastian Gomes, and this is Voting Catholic. In this episode, I speak with Sister Mary Haddad, the President and CEO of the Catholic Health Association. We talk about what lessons COVID-19 has taught us about our public health, how to understand the public-private hybrid system at work, and what reforms are badly needed. Sister Mary, the COVID-19 pandemic has to be the framework for, for any conversation about healthcare in 2020. But let's step back for a moment. How would you describe the state of the healthcare system in the United States prior to the pandemic.
3: Thank you, Sebastian. Let, let me start by um, going 10 years back, actually, with the passage of the Affordable Care Act in 2010. At that time, we made huge strides in providing health insurance for the uninsured and the underinsured. And today, now over 20 million people have coverage because of the ACA. You know, the ACA expanded Medicaid eligibility, it created health insurance marketplace, it prevented denial of coverage or higher costs due to a pre-existing condition. That being said, we still have lots of work to do. Affordability is still an issue. We have co-pays, high deductibles, and as we all know, the cost of drugs are out of control.
2: You know, the, the pandemic has Really stressed the system in a, in an unprecedented way. We know that the hospitals and our medical practitioners uh, were and are overwhelmed. Um, we're at 200,000 American deaths uh, up to this point from the virus. What has the COVID 19 pandemic revealed about our healthcare system? Are there any key takeaways that that we've learned up to this point?
3: Absolutely Sebastian you know we've we've learned a tremendous amount from this pandemic and and to start by saying that you know this is the greatest public health crisis our country and our world have experienced in our lifetime um it's 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 very significant to us and you know it's focused a bright light on the importance of a strong public health system it exposed issues of health disparity with a mortality rate of 2.3 times higher for Black Americans than white Americans. And although we talked about diabetes and obesity and asthma and hypertension being some of the reported risk indicators for COVID, it's well-documented that really the underlying social conditions have put individuals at greater risk for COVID. You know, inadequate healthcare, poverty, unemployment, unaffordable housing, and food scarcity. We've also seen that, you know, fear, isolation, the financial turmoil from job loss during the pandemic have exacerbated mental health issues, which certainly was a concern pre-pandemic with the increase in suicide rate. So, you know, I I really believe that COVID didn't teach us anything we didn't already know, but it really has revealed the interdependence of life and how connected we really are.
2: So it sounds like you're saying, Sister Mary, that that the United States really doesn't have the best healthcare system currently and that there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of reform that needs to take place in order for it to meet the needs of all Americans. Is that true?
3: I, I would say yes. You know, um, We have um, been trying to address access issues over the past 10 years and the ACA has brought us so far, but even the ACA is not perfect. More work needs to be done. You know, we we have to look at the issues um, of cost. And uh, just because um, a person has health coverage doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be able to access that because of the financial constraints they may have. So cost is a big issue. And also the issues around quality. As I talked about earlier, we're seeing the health disparities in this country really related directly to racism and how do we begin to address those issues? So I think we have a a host of interconnected issues that we need to address, and they cannot be looked at um, in isolation with each other.
2: Let's switch to um, questions of policy. Healthcare is always a highly debated issue, obviously, between the political parties, and it's always a, a top voting issue. When we look at the polls, they consistently show that Americans care about healthcare. You mentioned the Affordable Care Act back in 2010, which was, you know, an attempt to to give all American citizens access to healthcare. Um, you know, since then, Republicans have tried, though unsuccessfully, to to repeal it. Um, Donald Trump even campaigned on repealing it um, back in in 2016. And also, in the last five years, we've seen the emergence of of stronger calls for universal healthcare um, and what that could look like. So I'm just wondering what you think about the current state of the debate around healthcare at the level of politics and policy.
3: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, um, I would uh, like to say that we all agree that um, people need access to high quality, affordable care. And that's the desired goal. But I don't think we agree on how to accomplish that goal. And that's where the rubber hits the road. You know, is it around private industry? Is it government run or is it a combination? And currently, you know, we, we have a combination of three things. You know, we have most people who have coverage through their employers. So we have private coverage. Secondly, we have those who um, get um, their coverage through government-funded programs like Medicare and Medicaid, Medicare for those over 65, and Medicaid for low-income individuals and families. And then we have the ACA, um, that is, um, private insurance is available on the market, and we've seen um, federal tax credits and subsidies that help lower the cost of premiums and cost-sharing. So, You know, I actually believe that um, what we need to do is build upon what we currently have. You know, to scrap the entire system and start over again, um, I I just can't even imagine the thought of that and what would happen and how many people would be impacted by that. Um, You know, move to a Medicare for all type um, uh, system, you know, is going to cost trillions of dollars. And I think it would be very difficult to pass Congress so, you know, as I, again, look at those three ways that we currently provide coverage, we have to think about not only what has worked for us in the past, but what we're going to need going forward.
2: So it sounds, Sister Mary, like, um, you know, you would advocate for improving this the system as opposed to scrapping the system. Um, the system is ex- extremely complex, obviously, but I'm wondering what your what your take on the system being a for-profit system, you know, means. Um, Like, if everybody agrees that healthcare is, you know, a fundamental thing, and we all need it, and we all want it, um, would it not make more sense for the profit motive to be removed from that system? I think, you know, a lot of younger people, for example, look at the movement uh, for, you know, universal healthcare and find that quite attractive. And not only young people, but a lot of people who, even with the current system and even with the Affordable Care Act, can't afford medical bills.
3: You know, Sebastian, I would say I'm not an um, economist, so I'm not going to have a a real solid response to your question, but I'll say that, you know, health insurance in this country really started with religious congregations. And so when you look at, um, you know, in our history, we've seen where um, people who worked on the railroads would give a a certain amount to, um, you know, the sisters to care for them when they became ill. So this whole understanding of creation of a market uh, really had its roots in our early history in Catholic healthcare. And that, that uh, insurance-based healthcare, that market has continued to grow. And we've seen that um, as it has moved to for-profit, it has created some problems, but that doesn't mean that in and of itself, um, you know, the market is ineffective.
2: So, Sister Mary, um, I'm wondering if you could just tell us very simply uh, what the Catholic Church's position on health care is.
3: Yes, Sebastian, I, I would say, you know, first and foremost, um, you know, we believe that healthcare care is a basic human right. And um, that right is based on the dignity of each and every person, you know, with special uh, concern for people who are poor and marginalized it is necessary in order to promote the common good, you know, the good from, for all people. And I know a lot of people react to that term, the common good, and they automatically think socialism, but, you know, we, we have to look at, um, you know, when a person has an unmet health need, it's difficult for them to fully function, you know, as a member of a family, a workplace, their schools, and it does have an impact on the broader community. And, you know, we've seen this again with COVID. Um, so, you know, everyone needs access to affordable quality health care in order to have a strong, healthy national community. And I believe that, you know, it's gonna take a lot of work, a lot of work in the coming months and years ahead. But I think we have to remember the importance of our choices today because they will have a lasting impact on the generations to come. So it's just not about the current time, it is about our future.
2: Thank you very much, Sister Mary, for taking the time to speak with us.
3: Thank you, Sebastian, it's a pleasure to be with you, and thank you very much for the work you're doing to promote this important issue during this time in our country.
0: Hi, I'm Maggie Van Dorn, and I'm the producer of a new podcast series from America Media called Church Meets World. It's about where the Catholic Church meets the most interesting and consequential issues of our time. We developed Church Meets World because there are so many powerful stories we come across in America that could not only be translated to audio, but completely reimagined in the process. So check out Church Meets World at americamag.org slash Church Meets World, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Welcome back. Before the break, we spoke to Sister Mary Haddad, who told us that healthcare in this country is going to take a lot of work. It's not going to be fixed overnight with a Band-Aid or even a presidential election. But according to Dr. Meadows, the doctor we heard from at the beginning of the episode, there is still a lot we can do.
1: You know, when I say all this, people are like, Well, Rhonda, it just sounds like you are feeling hopeless or helpless. And I would have to tell you that I feel sad. I feel the losses, but I am never hopeless. I have my God, and I am never helpless because I have my own strength and tenacity. The sadness and the fear that I feel is only fueled my passion and compassion to do something about this and to use every tool, every relationship, everything that I've ever earned, have, or owned to find a way out. My faith always, always assures me that there is always a path. I just have to find it and bring like-minded people with
2: me. So, Dr. Meadows, in light of everything we've discussed, I'm curious how you go about discerning your civic duty and responsibility to vote in the November election.
1: So, I already believe wholeheartedly that that is not only uh, my privilege, but it's also my responsibility to vote. So, when people uh, prepare themselves for voting, myself included, we think about all of the things that have impacted us either recently or or a longer term uh, that need to be taken into account when we're looking at candidates and platforms and campaigns. Um, But I can tell you for me right now, it is so clear how I need to vote and why I need to vote. Because if I don't, nothing improves, nothing changes. Um, And I've already seen the harm that can come from inactivity. Uh, from not pushing forward. What I've also done is, um, and not to sound old, even though I am, um, is making sure that I am spreading that commitment and that passion and that tenacity about voting through my Twitter account, through my LinkedIn, through uh, the social media that I have learned to embrace. I have offered people literally, what do you need to help you Vote. Um, is it that you're worried about taking time off from work if you're still able to work? Um, is it that you're worried about the long lines? So can I buy you lunch? <laughs> I'll, I'll bag it up for you and you can take it and wait in line if you like. Um, is it that you don't trust the post office and you actually want to go down to the um, polling place? Um, do you need transportation? Anything that any of us do, anything that we do, you have to move past whatever it is that's holding you back from doing better. It could be your fear, your despair, your sadness. Um, It could be just a frustration. It could be just anger. And you have to channel it into positive action, into sustained commitment, Um, just being willing to just not just throw the cover over your head throw your hands in the air and give up because then nothing changes nothing gets better and you become part of the problem so we have to be the solution
2: dr meadows thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today i really appreciate it
1: thank you for having me join you today
2: next time on voting catholic we reckon with the national sin of racism Black lives Black lives Black lives Black lives and confront the systemic spread of it within the catholic church
1: and for me as a person of color i certainly appreciate kindness and good christian charity and so forth that that's good but if you gave me a choice between that and justice i'll take justice
2: For complete coverage of the 2020 election from America Media, visit americamagazine.org. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting us. It's really easy to do. Just go to americamagazine.org donate or subscribe to our award-winning print magazine. And if you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. Help us spread the word. Voting Catholic is a production of America Media, a Jesuit ministry. This episode was written and produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Sound design and mixing by Ashley Spillane. With production assistance from Kevin Robles and Erica Rasmussen. Art by Sean Tripoli and Allison Hamilton. It was recorded at a safe distance in the William J. Losherd studio at America Media in New York City. Voting Catholic was made possible by the generous support of Beth and Tom Rainey. I'm your host and executive producer, Sebastian Gomes. Thanks for listening.
0: Voting Catholic is brought to you in part by the Rosary of Modern Sorrows, a rosary and meditation that focuses on Catholic social justice issues. Each decade addresses the sorrows of racial injustice, climate change, immigration, women and children, and more. Rediscover the rosary. Visit contemplativerebellion.com.